Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. We're going to start just by looking at two quick passages of Scripture from the book of Psalms. David wrote this, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? And then the Psalms in Psalm 147, the psalmist says this, He counts the stars and calls them all by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. I've entitled today's message, Big God. Very simple, Big God. And most of us will probably freely admit that we serve a big God. But from my own experience and watching other people, we don't always live as if we serve a big God. Over the past few weeks, I felt the Holy Spirit dealing with me specifically about this. He asked me a question, a very penetrating question. And I'll share that story with you as I close the message today, but I'm going to ask you the same question as we close. So today I want to remind, we're going to start, I want to remind each of us about how incredible our God is. We're going to look at three things, his big power, his big love, and his big care for little things. So for his big power, I started thinking about the Bible and I started thinking about stories uh, that took place throughout the ages where God showed his power. And there were multitudes of stories, but I, I chose one because it is a story that the Old Testament and the New Testament both look back to over and over and over again. And it is the story of the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt and specifically the parting of the Red Sea. The book of Exodus is the account of Israel leaving uh, the nation of Egypt. Egypt, they had been slaves for 400 years. God came to deliver them, sent Moses as a deliverer, and he sent a number of plagues, 10 plagues that came and decimated uh, Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh and the leaders had had enough, and they said, be gone, leave. Moses kept going, say, let my people go. And he finally says, your people can go. And scholars estimate between 2 million and 6 million people walked out of Egypt that day. And they started to walk to the wilderness. And God was leading them miraculously through a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And they went out into the wilderness. But the scripture specifically says that God led them in such a way that they actually were kind of hemmed in. They were hemmed in by the Red Sea and they were hemmed in by a valley because God said he wanted to demonstrate something. And let me just read a couple of verses from Exodus chapter 14. The 17th verse says, and this is God speaking to Moses, my great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. 
When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Now, the parting of the Red Sea has been depicted in many, many different ways, both in, in artwork, but in movies. And some of you probably remember the most famous from the Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille through special effects and Charlton Heston speaking, <laughs> um, parted the Red Sea and, and we saw it on the big screen. But then a few years back in 1998, the Prince of Egypt came out and in animation, they again parted the Red Sea. And one of my absolute favorite parts of the Prince of Egypt is this scene right here. As they're walking through the Red Sea, and the Bible says it was like a wall on their left and a wall on their right. The animators animated it with this whale that swims by. Now, I don't know if there are any whales in the Red Sea. Probably not. There may be some in the Mediterranean. I don't know about the Red Sea. Maybe there are, but I don't care. I thought that they so captured how awesome it must have been when God demonstrated his power and split the Red Sea. In Exodus 14, this is what the Bible says took place. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Now, even if it's on the conservative side of two million people, and these people have to get across the Red Sea in a reasonable period of time, imagine how wide that gap must have been. Because they walked across in just a few hours. But then, of course, Pharaoh and his officials say, what have we done? We've let them go. And so they come, and they try to follow them across the dry seabed. And, of course, God demonstrated his glory. God demonstrated his power, and the sea closed in and killed the entire Egyptian army. And just what God said would happen, Egypt knew that there was a God in Israel, and all of Israel knew that God was their protector. God's power is awesome. We serve an awesome God. And he invites us to call upon him and to ask for his help. That's important. We serve a big God who has big power, but God is inviting us to come and to ask for his help. Look what it says in the book of Matthew. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, spoke these words not just to them at that time, but to us. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, I think this is Jesus' main point here. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more will your heavenly Father give to you good gifts? This God, this big God of big power, 
wants to give good gifts to his children. Some of his children needed his help. In fact, an entire state here in the United States needed God's help, and they asked for it back in the 1870s. Here's the story. On June 12, 1873, farmers in southwestern Minnesota saw what looked like a snowstorm coming towards their fields from the west. Then they heard a roar of beating wings and saw that what seemed to have been snowflakes were in fact grasshoppers. In a matter of hours, knee-high fields of grass and wheat were eaten to the ground by hungry grasshoppers. The grasshopper's dramatic descent was just the beginning. For five years, from 1873 to 1877, grasshoppers destroyed wheat, oat, corn, and barley fields in Minnesota and the surrounding states. In 1876 alone, grasshoppers visited 40 Minnesota counties and destroyed 500,000 acres of crops. Grasshoppers were not anything new to Minnesota, but in the past they had stayed only for a year or at the most two. In 1873, they moved into Minnesota from Dakota and Iowa, and they laid their eggs deep into the soil of Minnesota. Now, Minnesota farmers did their best to destroy the grasshopper eggs so that there would be fewer grasshoppers to feast on their crops the next year, but 1874 was worse than 1873. The grasshopper eggs hatched and more grasshoppers flew in from the west. And each year, the grasshoppers spread further and further throughout Minnesota. And since they moved in separate units, they destroyed large sections of crops in some areas and left other areas untouched. But in the summer of 1876, grasshoppers nearly destroyed the crops in Minnesota. So in the spring of 1877, the farmers were worried. They believed that the dreadful plague would once again visit them and again destroy their rich wheat crop, bringing ruin to thousands of people. The situation was so serious that Governor John P. Pillsbury declared April 26th as a day of prayer and fasting. He urged every man, woman, and child to ask God to prevent this terrible scourge. And on that April day, all schools, shops, stores, and offices were closed throughout the state of Minnesota. There was a reverent, quiet hush over the state. The next day dawned bright and clear, and the temperature soared. The temperature soared in Minnesota to what it ordinarily would do in midsummer, which was very peculiar for April. And the Minnesotans were devastated as they discovered billions of grasshopper larvae wiggling to life. For three days, the unusual heat persisted and the larva hatched, and it appeared that it wouldn't be long before these tiny grasshoppers grew big enough that they would start feeding and would once again destroy the wheat crop. But on the fourth day, on the fourth day, however, the temperature suddenly dropped. And that night, frost covered the earth. It killed everyone 
of those creeping, crawling pests, as surely as if poison or fire would have been used. And it went down in the history of Minnesota as the day God answered the prayers of his people. God's power is still there. People of God, he wants us to ask and to seek and to knock. God's power is there. But not only is God's power big, God's love is big too. In the Old Testament, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. The love of God goes back through the entire Bible. God loves his children. God loves you. God loves me with an everlasting love. And with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. We sang about, we sang about the overwhelming, reckless love of God that he draws us to himself with this love. Of course, in the New Testament, that love became a person. It was the person of Jesus. And Jesus said this about the love of God in John 3.16. Many of you have it memorized, and many of you have it memorized in these words as I do. That's why I quoted from the New King James. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The power of God is awesome. The love of God is big. And God's love is still alive and powerful today. May your faith be increased as you listen to and watch this story. I need to tell you about just one out of many. There was this guy in Sweden. He came from the Middle East as a Muslim refugee. He was 25 years old, and he ended up in a city about one hour north of where we are. So uh, trying to settle into this cold nation now, this guy was you know, trying to do the best of it. But then last summer, he had a very, very special experience. Every night as he lay sleeping, he had the same dream over and over again. And in the dream, he saw a big auditorium with thousands of people who were standing like this. And this guy was a Muslim, he's never been to a church, he didn't know what to do with this, this dream and he couldn't relate to what was going on. So he started to head to the streets of his city, asking random people, excuse me, do you know of a big auditorium where thousands of people are standing like this? <laughs> now, brothers and sisters from America, you need to know something about Swedish people, okay? Because you guys are like world champions of social interaction. <laughs> Swedes, not so much. You actually talk to each other over here. A Swede has got very big problems with that. If a Swede comes over here and a Swede will go into an elevator and there will be a guy in there, an American, that American probably say, what's up or something. And a Swede will be shocked. Why is this man referring to an app on my phone? What, what, am I, what, what am I supposed to do with this information? How do I respond to it? You know, because in Sweden, normally strangers don't talk to one another. So this young Muslim had absolutely no success. Everybody thought he was an idiot simply for addressing people that he didn't know. So he thought to himself, it's a big auditorium that I see in my dream. So maybe it's in the capital of Sweden, Stockholm. So this guy goes on a train to Stockholm to try to find this mysterious auditorium that keeps popping up in his dream every night. 
And when you go from his city to Stockholm, the last station you pass by is our city of Uppsala. So he passed us by, he came to Stockholm. And then he exited the train and got out on the platform. On the platform, there is a man standing there. This young Muslim has never seen this guy before, but he comes straight up to him and he says, ma'am, you went one station too far. You need to go back one station. And this Muslim says, uh, thank you. And then he goes back on the train. <laughs> and he goes back one station to our city. And then he hits the street and he asks the first person that he sees, excuse me, do you know of a big auditorium where thousands of people are standing like this? And this guy says, that's Word of Life Church. Everybody knows that. So he gets directions to our church. He arrives, it's Saturday night. He comes into our church auditorium. The first time he's ever been to a church. It's Saturday night, thousands of people standing like this, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing this young Muslim hears is the altar call. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. He hears the gospel, he opens his heart and he accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. only after that we realize the whole process that has gone on before the amount of heavenly coordination that went into this project God gives this guy a, a dream and puts it on repeat and then he places an angel on the Stockholm train station to guide him to our place when he enters our auditorium he exactly identifies it from his dreams he remembers he recognized the balconies the color schemes the backdrop everything and we realize that's how much God loves one single individual. Praise God. Amen. Amen. We sang about it. There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no place that he won't go coming after us. That's his love. God's love, his big love is still available. It's still available to you. It's still available to me. And it's still available to your family and your friends who may never have opened their hearts yet to Jesus. It's a, we serve a big God. He has big power. He has big love. And he also has big care for little things. I grew up going to church. I've gone to church my entire life, but I... I did not yet give my heart to the Lord until I was in my 20s. I did not go to a church that actually talked about the need for personal salvation. Um, if I did the right things, then hopefully uh, God would let me into heaven. And in part of the instruction of my church and part of the things I picked up from the adults around me was that you don't bother God with little things. God is busy. But he's busy with the big things of the world. You know, there's, there's the wars. There's the natural disasters. There's the um, plagues that are happening. And so around the world, God is busy with the big things, and we just handle the little stuff ourselves. That was, that was how I grew up. That was what I had learned. And certainly if in our family or amongst our friends there was a big need, like somebody was suffering with a disease, or somebody had been involved in an accident, then it seemed appropriate because that was an important thing to talk to God about. But little things, we weren't supposed to. 
what I found out after I opened my heart to Christ and I began to be taught what the Word of God says, I found out that Jesus doesn't teach that at all. Jesus taught in Matthew 10, starting in verse 29, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your Father knowing it. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So look what verse 31 says. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Jesus, reflecting our Heavenly Father, you know, anything that Jesus did, said, is exactly like God the Father because they're one. Jesus said God is concerned about little things, sparrows, the hairs on our head. And we as people are far more valuable than sparrows. God has big care for his children. And he cares about the things that concern you. I've been a believer only for a couple of years when this incident took place. As I said, I came from a church background where I wasn't taught about a personal relationship with Jesus, but through um, God's gracious love for me, I met some people who shared the gospel with me, and I opened my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I began to attend a different church. Not the church I grew up in, but a different church, an evangelical church, a church that taught the things of God from the Scripture. And I started to go to a group. This church had groups that met. And the particular group that I was a part of, I had been meeting with them for, I don't know, several months. I love to go to group because I love to learn more about the Bible, but I also love to hear the stories, people's stories, of what God was doing in their life. And I want to tell you, that's a great reason to be part of a small group so that you can begin to interrelate with other people, that you can share life together, but so that you could hear stories. I heard stories that impacted my faith, like this one that I heard in December. It was early December, and the small group was meeting, and we would meet in someone's home. We would sip some iced tea or some coffee. Sometimes we'd have some pastries, and people would share On this particular day when we got together, there was a young lady in the group. Uh, She was older than I was. I was only in my early 20s, but, but she had only been married now for several months, maybe about a year. And she said, I want to share something that happened where God answered one of my prayers. So we all were interested in hearing what had taken place. And she said, It happened on Thanksgiving. She said, when I I married my husband, I knew that his mother, my now mother-in-law, was a great cook. Everything that she made was wonderful. And I was an okay cook, and I was trying, but the one thing that my husband kept saying that he loved about his mother's cooking was her homemade gravy. She made the best homemade gravy, and so I got her recipe, and I tried to make her homemade gravy, and every time I tried to make it, every time it flopped. It was either lumpy, or it was too thin, or it didn't have the right flavor, or it didn't have the right color, so that what I did is I just resorted to the packaged stuff, or sometimes from a can. And so when I would serve a meal, 
and gravy was involved. I would serve what I had made from the package or the can, and every time my husband would taste it, and he'd say, oh, it's not homemade. Oh, my mother could make the best gravy. Well, for this young lady, she's been married now for just under a year or just over a year, it was her turn to host Thanksgiving. And as the hostess of the family Thanksgiving meal, she had two responsibilities, the turkey and the gravy. And as she was telling us the story, she says, as Thanksgiving got closer and closer, I got more nervous. And I began to worry about what was going to happen, how I was going to serve this meal. Thanksgiving Day arrived, and she got the turkey in the oven early, Seemed like that was going well. But you know that if it's going to be homemade gravy, which she had determined she was going to make, you've got to wait till you get your drippings. So all while the meal is cooking, she's worried about the gravy. Now, she had a backup plan. She had the packages, and she had something uh, backed up. But she wanted to make homemade gravy for her husband but she also wanted to make it so that her mother-in-law would know that her little boy was being well taken care of by his new wife. As the turkey was cooking and as the drippings were starting to go into the pan, she had a thought. Maybe I should pray. Maybe I should ask God to help me to make gravy. And, and immediately she told us in the group that, no, I just threw that, that thought out. Nah, God doesn't care about gravy. And time went on, and it was getting closer to mealtime, and the thought came again. And immediately she threw the thought out. More time went, and the thought came again, and she thought, what's it going to hurt? So she prayed a very simple prayer. God, could you help me to make good homemade gravy? Getting time to serve the meal, guests had arrived, and she pulled that recipe out, her mother-in-law's recipe, put it on the counter and began to put the ingredients together, the dripping from the, uh, from the turkey, as well as some spices, the cornstarch. And as she was adding the cornstarch mixture, it didn't lump. And as she was cooking the gravy, it, it, it had the right color. And as she tasted it on a spoon, it had good flavor. She put it in the gravy boat. People were now seated at the table. Turkey had been brought out. The other dishes that the other family members had were brought out. And she set the gravy down and dinner started. Of course, she's a nervous wreck being a hostess for this first family gathering. But people seem to be enjoying themselves and then about half to three-quarters of the way through the meal, she heard her mother-in-law call her name. And when her mother-in-law called her name, the, the table got kind of quiet. And her mother-in-law said to her, she said, this has been a wonderful Thanksgiving. Everything is good, and this is some of the best gravy I have ever had. You did a great job. Now, by this time in the story in our small group, the tears are just pouring down this young lady's face. 
She said, when everybody had left, all I could do was say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you care about something that is probably so insignificant for you but was important to me. And our group continued. But as a young believer, only having known the Lord for a year or two, that story got deep into my heart. Because as I had told you in my background, I had been told that God didn't care about these little things. That's for us to deal with. That God, God cares about the big things, not the little things. But after that story, I realized that God also cared about the little things in my life. And of course, in reading the scripture, I found out that he cares about sparrows, and he cares about the hairs on our head, and he notices those things. And I realized that if I am concerned about it, so is God. That's God's big care for little things. We serve a big God. He's big in power. He's big in love. And he has big care for little things. About three weeks ago, I was praying and having some devotions, and I felt a gentle and kind but firm prompting from the Lord. Basically, it was like this. What have you requested from this big God? I had been thinking about how awesome our God is, how big he is, and that we should have big dreams. And this thought, as I said, it it dropped in. It was firm, but kind. What have you requested of this big God? And I had to answer honestly and realize how little I had requested of this big God who had big power, big love, and big care for little things. And then this question formed, and I don't know if it was at that time or afterwards, is this. Are my prayers as big as my God? Are my prayers as big as my God? And I honestly had to say to myself, I haven't been praying prayers that are anywhere near as big as my God. But that's begun to change over the past three weeks. My prayers have gotten bigger. And my prayers have gotten bolder. And I bring the question that God asked me to you today, leaving it in the first person, and you may want to take a screenshot of that or write it down. Ask yourself, are my prayers as big as my God? We started by 
Listening to the words of David, when I consider the heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have created, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Memorized from a different translation that I read. And of course, he created all the stars and he calls them all by name. And our scientists, to the best of their ability, have now estimated the vastness of the universe and the number of stars that are in the heavens, and basically they're uncountable. But the Word of God tells me that God not only counts all the stars, knows all the stars, has named all the stars. That's a pretty big God. Are my prayers as big as my God? And if you were to say, no, I don't think I'm praying anywhere near big enough prayers compared to this God that I say is my Father, then I'm going to give you a couple things to do. First of all, just what I did this morning, remind yourself of your Father's, His big power, His big love, and His big care. What stories do you have? What stories can you Find in God's word. What personal stories have you heard or have you lived where God's big power, his big love, or his big care for little things was manifest? So begin to remind yourself of your father's big power, big love, and big care. And then ask God to help you revive your dreams. There's a quote coming up from Pastor Josh Gagnon was listening to an interview with this pastor, and in the interview, he made this statement, went back, rewound it, and wrote it down, because I thought, yes, I need to share that this Sunday. Pastor Gagnon said this, you're never going to pray big, bold prayers if you have given up on your dreams for the future. You are never going to pray as if God can move mountains if over the years you have given up believing that he can. And you know why some of us don't pray big, bold prayers anymore? Because we had been praying those prayers, but God still hadn't worked. And slowly but surely, because God hadn't worked yet, we began to pray smaller prayers. This morning, I'm not sure who I'm talking to. I know I'm talking to someone online because I sense the Holy Spirit say this to me. You've stopped praying for a loved one that needs Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You have been praying for decades. And so at one time, you used to believe that God was going to save your loved one. But because you've prayed so long, you hardly ever pray for them anymore. I want God to revive your dream. I want God to put that burden back in your heart. And you may be here, and that's you also. What if your dreams have died? For the salvation of a family member, for a ministry that, that God has put upon your heart, something that you really felt that he wanted you to do, and you've tried it on one or two occasions, and one time even got something going, but it sort of all fell apart. What dream has begun to die? That you're no longer praying to the big God who can move mountains as if he can help you with your dream. Remind yourself of who this God is. 
what he has done in the past. Remember what it says about Jesus in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus who called a man who had been dead for four days out of a grave. Jesus who, as we read in Luke's gospel this morning, as we read the scripture, Jesus who took a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish and served 5,000 men and then women and children, a crowd of fifteen to 20,000. And then afterwards, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. That Jesus, the same, back when he did that miracle, today and forever. And he's the same one that says, ask and keep asking and you shall receive. Seek and keep seeking and you shall find. Knock and keep knocking, and the door will be open. You're never going to pray big, bold prayers if you have given up on your dreams for the future. You are never going to pray as if God can move mountains if over the years you have given up believing that he can. I think some of that fell into my own heart. I know some of our lives are in turmoil because of what's happening around the world, um, in, in our culture financially, and with this COVID pandemic, with school going on and off, and all of those things. I want us today to recapture again our dreams and remembering that we have a big God, a big God, I wish I could be Charlton Heston and a big God. Or, or, or James Earl Jones. He's, he'd be really good as God, too, I'm sure. We don't know what God's voice sounds like, but this is my prayer for you today. In fact, we're going to specifically pray this as service closes. What dream has gotten small or what dream has gotten cold or what dream has died that you need to revive or have a supernatural touch of reviving of that dream so you're going to start praying big, bold prayers again of our big God. Last statement as we wind this down. Our big God is looking for people to start praying once again big prayers. I want us to become a church that is known for our audacity in praying, that we would pray big things, that we would pray for the salvation of the one who seems to be the most lost, for the one who is the most addicted, for the one who is the most broken, for the marriages that seem to be falling apart, for the wounds in people's hearts, for the salvation of hundreds Big prayers because he's a big God with big power, big love, and big care for the ordinary and the little things of our life. And he invites us to come to him and pray. As the team makes their way to the platform, would you bow your heads? Lord, when you started to talk to me three weeks ago and challenged me about my own small praying. Lord, I just had to admit that no, 
My prayers are nowhere near the size of the God that I say I serve. But Lord, my prayers have changed. I pray this morning that each person listening to my voice, those here in the building, those that are listening online, would have things stirring in their hearts. Lord, I pray now that you would identify those who have a dream that has been died or has gotten very small or very cold because they've been praying for so long. Lord, this morning, I'm going to pray that you supernaturally re-empower dreams that will fuel our big, bold prayers. While your heads are about, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a dream that's died? dream for a salvation of a family member, a dream for something that you believe God had put in your heart to do, a dream for a relationship that just now hasn't happened yet or a a relationship that's on the rocks that you've been praying for. Have you had a dream that has died this morning? If so, would you just slip up your hand? Because I want to pray specifically for you. If you would say, Pastor, I have a dream that has died. Anybody else this morning? You've had a dream that has died. Anybody else this morning? Yes. Anybody else? You've had a dream that's died, so you're not praying big, bold prayers anymore about that dream. Yes, a couple more. Anybody else? Anybody else? You've had a dream that has died. Lord, you have seen those individuals who raised their hands. You have seen the individuals at home that are also identifying with what I am saying, and they've had dreams die too. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that right now, you would move into the hearts of these individuals who have lifted their hands and that you would breathe on their dream as if it was an ember and your breath would cause it to to come to flame and then you'd put fuel on it and and the dream that once was no long nothing more than an ember is now again a roaring fire a blaze lord god that will fuel their big prayers and lord you will smile not only the fact that there, uh, people are offering big prayers, but you are smiling, Lord, because you know how you plan on working and answering that prayer. Because we believe here that something happens when we pray that doesn't happen when we don't. And something happens when we pray big, bold prayers that won't happen if we don't pray big, bold prayers. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. 
And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. 